Sunday night edition of the Crash the Pond podcast. Folks, the long national nightmare is over. The winning, or sorry, the losing streak. The losing streak is over. It was almost 10. Almost, almost. 10 games. I... Uh... I put it on Twitter. I was pretty confident when it went four to two that uh, it was going to be 10. You were very confident. Well, not only did it were they down by two goals, but you also add in the fact that they looked absolutely exhausted. And we'll get into more of that, more of why they, they yes. were absolutely exhausted in that game. But basically, the thing that I didn't factor in was they were playing an AHL level goalie. Ouch. Turns out that, that makes it. Hey, hey, Harsh. I'm not Harsh. even taking credit for that criticism. That is what uh, Spencer, who's in our Twitch chat right now, who is an Avalanche fan, patron of our show, though, really good follow or really good friend of the show, uh, legitimately called him an AHL goalie. And he's an Avalanche fan. So there's that for you. You also have our good friend John Broadbent at Defend the Nest saying that he is their AHL goalie. So that is who Hunter Miska is. And the Ducks took full advantage of that. And that was something I hadn't factored into my uh, prognostication when I said that it was going to be 10 in a row after going down four to two. I mean, I still think that you could make the argument that the Ducks shooting talent at this point in time might not be even suited to beat AHL goalies. You could maybe say that. Troy Terry made him look bad. So we'll get into that. Yes, we will get into that. But this game we're going to. So I think what we're going to do today, everybody who's listening, is we're going to try to we're going to start with the game that happened last night against Colorado. It's it's a win. I think we should talk about what went right there, maybe some of the drawbacks, and then we'll get into some of the games that happened this week, and then maybe we'll just go into questions. I don't know. that A lot of the themes that we've been talking about this season and even last week and the last couple weeks, they didn't really go anywhere this week. There wasn't a whole lot of course correction or, or reversal going on. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I mean, Gabe Greenlee in our Twitch chat says, I'm in desperate need of a, of a Jake rant tonight. There may be one. Who knows? We'll see if it ends up happening. But I mean, right now, my feeling is just this team is what it is at at this point in time. And I'm not sure if I can get too mad or too worked up. I mean, we'll see. They may be there. The more I think about it as I I start to think about how Dallas Akins has used this team. But as you said, basically everything kind of we've been talking about the last couple of weeks. It's not as if anything necessarily changed this past week. It was just more so a, a reiteration uh, of everything, uh, everything that happened. Um, I'm, so it, it's not necessarily anything, anything that's changed. I don't know if there's anything worthy of a rant, but who knows? We'll see. Maybe I have one in me. <laughs> I'm sure you will. I'm sure it'll, it'll come to you at some point. Probably um, the people want it. The people are asking oh, for yeah. it. Now, yeah. I, I think that one thing that should be talked about, you know, uh, in regards to the, the week that was is although it didn't happen this past week, it, it was, announced on Thursday, Hampus Lindholm suffered a fractured left wrist on, it would have been just over a week ago, last Saturday, February 27th, and he's going to miss approximately six weeks. So he's expected to make a full recovery, um, but that is a pretty pretty big blow for the Anaheim blue line here. Yeah. I mean, I think that you and I would both agree that he's undoubtedly the number one defenseman for this Ducks roster. And so anytime that you lose your number one defenseman, that's going to be a huge loss uh, for the team. I mean, here's the thing though, in the shortened season, everyone's dealing with injuries. Everyone's going to have this. It's obviously a huge loss for the Ducks. Um, But I mean, now, honestly, 
from my perspective, and I think everyone out there knows where I'm at with this team, that I'm not necessarily concerned with wins and losses. I am someone that's more concerned about seeing what the team has, their process, everything along those lines. I actually view this as a really good opportunity for Josh Mahura because, I mean, the issue was Josh Mahura came into the lineup, and right when Hampus Lindholm came back, Lindholm came back for that one game, Mahura came out. And so, to me, that kind of means that they view Josh Mahura as the replacement for Lindholm if he's injured. So, this means Josh Mahura is going to have a long stretch of games where he's going to be in the NHL unless mm-hmm. something goes completely wrong or he gets injured, something like that. Um, and, and so, basically, this is a big opportunity for Josh Mahura. And he's going to be able to uh, to really kind of show what he has and get some, uh, get some time with it. Yeah, absolutely. I think that when... You know, with Lindholm, he had the initial injury, which was lower body that kept him out for a bit that landed him on the IR. And then he had another injury, which kept him out. Um, then he came back in. And then all of a sudden it turns out that uh, or he he re-aggravated his original injury. And now he's got a fractured left wrist. So he's going to be out a while. Let me ask you this, though, just bigger picture because that's what we like to do here on the show. Um, what, Where does Hampus Lindholm sit right now in this team's kind of, I guess, overall view for you? Um, I, I think that's a really good question, because I think that um, I think a lot of people view him as not necessarily expendable. I don't think that's the right way to put it. But I think as a very valuable piece that the Ducks should be looking to move. And I think I, think I kind of fall into that category. Um, because the fact that, I mean, let me lay this out there for everyone. Hampus Lindholm is signed to a deal that he, um, or basically his deal is up, not this upcoming summer, but the summer after. Mm -hmm. And if you're Hampus Lindholm and you are going to be getting your big payday, this is a team, basically he's probably going to get a six, seven, eight year deal. Um, depending on where he signs, if it's with Anaheim, I could see him wanting to get an eight year deal. And so if you're doing that, you probably want it to be with a team that's going to be good, going to be kind of pushing for a playoff spot. And the Ducks aren't that right now. And so I think we're going to be running into a situation where the Ducks for a long time were able to retain talent because they were competitive for so long. And I can't really remember the last kind of talent that was like a younger player that they had for a couple of years that they weren't able to re-sign as a UFA. I mean, David Perron comes to mind, but he was a guy that they had just traded for. Like, I can't remember really. That's the only one even that they traded for that they wanted to resign and they couldn't. And, and so um, I, I think that the ducks are going to be running into a lot more of those issues. And I think that you're going to have that potential issue with Josh Maher or sorry, not Josh Maher, Josh Manson with Ricard Raquel with Hampus Lindholm. These are all guys that all three of those guys are coming up in the summer of 2022. And if you're one of those guys, I mean, granted you can sign with the ducks have loyalty. Obviously that, that does play a part for some guys, um, and especially if the decks can offer them enough and they like the lifestyle. But I mean, if you're one of those guys and you've now lost for the last three years, I mean, you, this is your big contract. This is your big payday. This is your time to exercise your rights as a, uh, you you're unrestricted free agent. Are they going to stay with the ducks? My gut tells me like a guy like Raquel, a guy like Lindholm, maybe looking for a better situation for them. Mm-hmm. And, and so I, I think that that's where I'm at with uh, Hampus Lindholm and R- Lump Ricard Raquel. I think the Ducks need to be looking to shop them, mainly because they have extreme value right now, not only because um, they're good players, but they have two straight playoff runs that they're going to be able to get with another team. And so it increases their value because they get those two playoff runs. And so I think the Ducks need to have a really hard conversation with those guys. 
I don't know if I would necessarily sign either of them to the deal that they're going to get. I don't know if I want Hampus Lindholm signed to a seven, eight year deal. Um, I think he's probably going to get seven or 8 million. And here's the issue. Mm-hmm. This is not me saying that Lindholm is a bad player, but I mean, for instance, look at the issue that the, the ducks have run into with Ryan Kessler, with Ryan Getzoff, with, uh, Corey Perry, all these guys, you're able to eat those at those point in time because you're contending and that's what you need to do to keep those players. And so you can eat the later years, deal with what the ducks are dealing with now, because that was what was needed to keep you competitive and keep you in the running for a Stanley cup at that point in time. Quite frankly, the ducks aren't in the running for that right now. And I don't, that's not controversial. That's just where they are. And so you don't want to eat that salary. And so do you want Hampus Lindholm at age 33, 34 years old, making 8 million? <clears throat> no, you you don't. Although I will say this, just so that we can get into the the, the last night's game, uh, just to round out this topic, Lampus Lindholm has been really good this season. Yes, yes. Um, I, I mean, I think if you look at his numbers, he's still very good at suppressing shot quality against. I mean, if you look at Jay Fresh's updated player cards for this season, he's in the 87th percentile of expected goals against when he's out there. So he's very good still at basically making it harder on the other team to get quality looks. And just in terms of his sheer plus minus, he's also very high there for expected goals, not actual plus minus. Don't you dare for a second think I was going there. Um, But yeah, so he's been really good. I think it is kind of, I mean, I think the biggest, not to, you know, be so cold and calculating, but I think the biggest loser in this situation is the fact that if the ducks were at all trying to trade him this season, uh, that basically just went out the window, didn't it? Yeah, I, I well, <laughs> yes and no, I would say, but more I, towards I, no, <laughs> more towards no, but I don't think it really stops them from doing it. I, I think that no. they, no. the the team trading for him still gets a, a run with him. Real quick, I throwing this out there right now before we even get into the recaps. I think that we we pivot from the plan of doing last night's game, and I just had remembered we should start with St. Louis because the Ducks okay. actually played a good game in their second game against St. Louis okay. and going from the first game against the blues, Dallas Aikens actually made some positive decisions with yeah. the roster. And I think that that's important to talk about. So I think that that kind of informs some things with the, the avalanche series. So I think that we actually should start with the blue series. So throwing a curveball okay. at you. Okay. That I am, I'm all aboard that, that hype train. So Going back to the very first game of the week, though, where the Ducks would lose to the St. Louis Blues five to four, look, there was there were some very you know questionable decisions in that game. You know, still with the Grant, Delorier, and Steele line, of course. But towards the end of the game, with the Ducks trying to come back, you saw some things form that they thought maybe they could build on moving forward. And I think the big takeaway from that first game against St. Louis was the formation of the Raquel Lundestrom Zegras line, which really dominated play in the, especially in the third period as the ducks were trying to mount a comeback. Yeah. And this was the game where Isaac Lundestrom actually had the hat trick. And yep. so he, he showed flashes of things that I think you and I both really didn't fully expect him in his game. I didn't expect kind of that ability to shoot and, and really kind of pick his shot and get it into the net. And he had some nice tips also as a part of it. So I think good on him, but yeah, in that third period, yeah, it was Lundestrom, Raquel and Zegras that really showed kind of what they could do together as a line and really showed, I think some promise. And that's something for ducks fans to have some excitement over how good they looked at the end of the game. And I mean, they looked good enough where Dallas Aikens kept throwing them over the board. And it was so much where, uh, Trevor Zegras, Oh, 
sorry, it was not in this game. It was the next game where he played a significant amount, but he still played 11, uh, 1103, which is kind of right in the middle of the pack for all of ducks forwards. And, um, if I am remembering correctly, uh, let me just double check. I believe this was the game, right? That Ricard Raquel had the goal, um, near the end of the game, uh, to bring it back to one goal deficit that Trevor's egress would actually pick up his first assist. Uh, of- no, that was the second blues game. That was the second blues game. Sorry. Yeah. All of it meshes together at a certain <laughs> point in time. Uh, yeah. we cover a lot of games here. Um, but so, I mean, this one, obviously for Isaac Lundestrom though, sorry. Um, he looks yeah, really hat, good. The, the, the hat trick is the big thing there for Lundestrom. Yes. And just to quickly touch on that. I mean, you saw Ricard Raquel pick up a couple of assists in that game. Um, I thought though that of course the story will be Lundestrom and not to take anything away from him, but like in particular, the first goal, I thought that it was a nice shot. He picked his corner and, and found the back of the net, but maybe a goal that Huso would like back, I would imagine. But overall, I mean, you can't really knock a guy or, or, or take anything away. Like I was saying from a hat trick. Now the ducks would lose that game though. And they gave up, <laughs> they gave up a goal to an, an NHL player who I wasn't aware existed Dakota Joshua. So yeah, it was it was that kind of night, and you know the Ducks didn't necessarily carry play in that game. And so, Correct. going into the second game, the the Ducks made some, I thought, very reasonable and you know kind of necessary ad- ad- adjustments that they really should have been making this entire time. So first of all, Dallas Akins would preserve and bring back the Raquel Lindstrom Zegers line, which did not have as great of a night in the second St. Louis game. Um, we saw Troy Terry in the lineup with Contois Getzlaff, um, Milano, Henrique Silverberg. And then the big curveball, the biggest of all curveballs is yeah. no Derek Grant and no Nick Delorier in the lineup. You would see a fourth line, sorry, of Danton Heinen, David Backus, and Sam Steele. So look, the results were not, if you look at the underlying numbers, they were not necessarily blowing anybody out of the water, but I did think that there was a lot to like in this game, that this team's overall process looked a lot more sound. And it felt like, you know, even though they dropped this game, it was still just a one goal game. It was still close. And the Ducks had the better of the Blues, I would say, from the first period or after the first period onward. They were the better team. They just really couldn't find the back of the net. And Let's just stick with this for now. What did you think of of how the thought process was so, for that game and how it went? So first off, I thought this was the first game where I could look at the lineup and say this was optimal. I mean, the only small yeah. tweak that I would have made would be to have had Max Jones in, but it seemed like it was a situation where Max Jones got caught with, I believe it was a, a high stick or a puck in ga- the first game against the Blues that caused him to actually not be available for this game against the Blues. Um, so it, it was a situation where I would prefer to see Jones in the lineup, but, um, well, I, I don't think he could play in this. Exactly. Game. Like exactly. He, he was, he had a tooth pulled in exactly. the first, from the first St. Louis game. So he was exactly. in a bit of pain. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So I, I think in terms of the the, the players available to, uh, Dallas Akins, this was his best decision in terms of, uh, lineup construction. And I think, for the most part, it ended up paying off for him. I mean, the Ducks on the whole on the night, I mean, just looking at some numbers from, from the night, is they were at 54% Corsi 4 percentage, uh, 58% uh, expected goals 4 percentage, 60% high danger chance, 52% scoring chance 4 percentage. And the Blues aren't this juggernaut this season either. 
But I, I think the process at least was correct. And, and the Ducks were playing correct hockey. And really the the main struggle in this uh in this period or in this game for the Ducks came with the penalty kill. And I think from a logical standpoint, the frustration I had with that is that I think that Dallas Aikens probably, and we'll get into it because I think that this is exactly where he went, thought not having Derek Grant made the penalty kill suffer. And the Ducks allowed three penalty kill goals and or shorthanded goals. And that was the the difference in the game. Three, mm-hmm. three to two. So yeah. I mean the the Ducks at I mean the Ducks had one goal, four at five on five. They were the only team to score a goal at five on five. Mm-hmm. And they lost this game. And yeah. I mean, that's hockey for you. Sometimes yep. special teams are going to make a difference. Sometimes you're not going to get the bounces. But I think the frustrating thing that I have, and this is going into the Avalanche series, is that I really wish the coaching staff would look at this game and say, all right, I get it. We lost. It was loss number, what, eight uh, eight in a row for the team. But this is one where we got the process right. Yep. And, we, and we should keep this process moving forward. And if we continue to play like this, we're going to see the bet. The, we're going to end up seeing the results go our way as a result of it. And the, there were a lot of pauses to be taken away. I mean, the penalty kill, there were some issues. I think Yanni Hockenbaugh had a rough night on the penalty kill. I think overall Yanni Hockenbaugh had a bit of a rough stretch in the last little bit. Um, but some people may disagree with me there. Um, but I, I think on the whole, this was a good game for the Ducks. And well, uh, I, I think the other thing we should mention is that this was uh, Trevor Zegers's first point in the yes. NHL. He got an assist on Ricard Raquel's goal at 19.51 of the third period as the Ducks were trying to come back, dying seconds. You know, Correct. Zegers carries it in, kind of fumbles it a little bit, but drops it off to Raquel, who then wires it home. Also in this game, Troy Terry damn near scored <laughs> and hit the inside of the post off of a... Yep vintage Ryan gets feed and Max Contois started celebrating thinking that it had gone in and then had time to come in and, and bury it. So I think that that was another positive in this game was that you saw a guy like Troy Terry get on the scoreboard and contribute offensively. And that line as a whole was, was very good yeah. in that game. I mean, they really dominated play. And then of course, Seeger's picking up his first point and Raquel getting on the board. Yeah. And, and I mean, so really keying in on, on Troy Terry there. I mean, this was a big game for him drawing back into the lineup after being out for what he had been out of lineup, I think for three straight games, something along those lines, he had been out for a significant amount of time. And you and I both agree on this, that he looked really good when he had played previously and him getting scratched was pretty, un, was pretty much unwarranted. I don't think he had played since the Vegas series. I think he played in the first game of the Arizona series. Yeah. Yeah. You're he, right. You're right. Yeah. He, he played in the first game of the Arizona series and looked good in that game and then got scratched because of Milano coming back. Mm-hmm. And I think that he looks good and he probably should have been in the lineup for a bunch more games. And I mean, what does he do? He comes back, he leads or he's tied for the lead in the ducks in terms of expected goals for when he's on the ice. Obviously he's on a line made of Ryan Getzloff. Ryan Getzloff was the only player with a higher number. Uh, Troy Terry was on the ice for one expected goals for 0.21 against. I mean, th- this has been Troy Terry for the last five or six games that he's been in the lineup. He's and now granted it could be his line mates. It might not be him. Well, the funny thing is that, Troy Terry this season has basically been who he's always been a good defensive forward at five on five and a guy who contributes on the power play. Like I actually don't think he hasn't progressed. I think to the speed that maybe the ducks or fans would like, but he's been just as good as he's been in the past. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that he, I think he's showing some strides offensively in the last couple of games, but I mean, 
he's been he's been pushing play towards the other team's net and he's been a big part of that and i think we've seen it of late with kind of his ability to find guys in the offensive zone with little passes and so also i think part of the reason why suppression numbers are so good has nothing even to do with how good he is without the puck. He just tends to have it a lot. Yeah. And the other team's not getting chances when he's out there. I mean, when he's out there, he, the pucks in the other team's zone because of him. And I think yeah. that that that's a big reason. And then kind of going into uh Ricard Raquel, it's nice to see Ricard Raquel kind of start putting the puck in the back. And then I mean, you, you look at a guy like him who really has deserved to score some goals of late. Um, he's a guy that has uh, put up some really good individual numbers He's a guy that leads the team in individual expected goals, shots, a whole lot of different categories. And the puck luck just hasn't gone his way. And it's really nice to be able to see him put the puck in. And so he scored late. Obviously, that was a really nice rush by Trevor Zegras. And I think that that's kind of what you want to see. You want to see Zegras be creative. It was late in the game. The Ducks were down by two. He knew that he needed to get the puck in the zone. And so he just basically went into the zone was going to try to take on some guys and see what would happen from it. And the puck ends up finding Raquel in a dangerous spot and he scores and awesome for Trevor's egress. He has first assist, a primary assist also mind you. And Ricard Raquel finds the back of the net. And so um, really good overall in this game. And I think that I, I wish, cause I don't think this is the case. The ducks would have viewed this game as a positive. I think that Dallas yeah. Akins and the coaching staff would have viewed this game as a negative viewed the, the penalty kill as a negative viewed a whole lot of different things from this game as a negative where in this game. And I think that this is well, key, key to I, the- I, just to jump in on that point really quickly. Yeah. I, I think that part of the reason that they did not view it as a positive or as much as maybe they should have is that they were in the midst of this massive losing streak yep. and that, and that they're just trying to get anything to result into a win. And, and, and until it does, it's not the thing that will get them out of it. If they were just a normal team that's not piling up losses, maybe they would have given it a little more time. There's also that possibility. Yep. Yep. Definitely. And, um, I doesn't was, make it correct by the way. Yeah. One, 100%. <laughs> and so, I mean, their process was right in this game and I, I wish that they would be able to identify that and, and kind of stick with that thought process compared to thinking you need to tinker. And I mean, sometimes, I mean, hockey is a weird sport. It, it's going to come back to bite you. You're going to win games. You, you should lose. You're going to lose games. You should win. And I think that this is all important for the conversation. We're eventually going to have about uh, last night's game in the sense of, even though they lost this game, you and I are both giving them credit and saying this was a yeah. good game for the ducks team. And yeah. And, and the thing is you and I both do this and that's important when they play good and play well, we give them credit, even if they've mm-hmm. lost. And that's what's important here. And there are obviously things that factor in the loss. The penalty kill was not good enough in this game. Yes. But the overall process in the game in this game was correct. Well, I just I don't think you should be making huge decisions about your lineup based on the penalty kill. Because yeah. that that just is not the majority of where the game is played, uh, as it would turn out. And so that was the big frustration. And uh, do you want to talk at all about the first avalanche game? Um, I mean, we can at least, we should at least mention the lineup decision, um, going into it. So why don't you take care of that one for us? Yeah. So in the very first game against the Colorado avalanche, it was announced first off that, um, that Josh Manson was now available to the ducks again. He was healthy. So everyone kind of, at least me included in that thought he was going to draw in and we'd probably see one of, uh, Ben Hutton or Jacob Larson come out of the lineup. And instead Dallas Akins decided to galaxy brain it. And I mean, here, <laughs> l- let me at least lay out the best logic I can come up with for it. Um, it is that I think his thought process was Josh Manson's coming back from an injury. 
he doesn't want him to be playing in high altitude and needing to play 20 plus minutes. So he figured seven defensemen allows him to um, really dole out the minutes better on the defense and really kind of uh, limit Josh Manson's minutes to keep him effective playing in high altitude. Mm -hmm. Here's the issue with that logic. It really screws up your entirety of forward lines. And so I'm going to just really briefly lay out what the ducks did, at least just from my perception of what the ducks would do in over the course of the game. Because so the, what they ended up doing, the ducks had uh, Max Comtois, Ryan gets Troy Terry together. Um, uh, actually, let me find the official lineup really quickly from the ducks, Twitter account, but they would essentially uh, run seven forwards and, or sorry, seven defense and 11 forwards. And basically what they would do is they would do essentially what a, what we do in beer league. I mean, that, that, that's the best way to put it is that when, when you are short a guy and you don't have, uh, the correct number for, let's say three even lines and you have, instead of nine players, you have eight, what you'll do is you'll, you'll basically have groups of two. And then the, the third person on that line will basically be these two people that will rotate through. And that's kind of what the ducks did on the fourth line. They had Sam Steele and, uh, and Derek Grant together and then they rotated through just different right wingers throughout that. And so whether it was double shifting or throwing off line alignment, they kind of did a couple of different things throughout the game by essentially shifting wingers on every line at various points in time. And then also just double shifting guys at various points in time. And the issue with doing this. And so here's the full lineup uh, from the start of the game. It was Comtois gets off Terry Zegras, Lundstrom, Raquel, Jones, Henrique, Silverberg, then Grant and Steele on that fourth line. Um, and the issue with doing that is you really throw everything out of whack. You make it where one forward is going to be overshifted or overplayed. And I think they mentioned after the first period that Troy Terry had played the most minutes on the entirety of the team. So more than any defenseman, which having a forward play more than a defenseman is not typically what you see. And I mean, I just think that this was a poor strategy because not only are you playing a good team in Colorado, but you're playing in the mile high, high area or mile high altitude so it, the air feels thinner and so you're just really messing up everything throwing off your your stride i mean you and i talked in the arizona series dallas Aikens made mention of the choppiness of a game well you're making the game choppy by doing this by by doing this you are causing guys to not be on the same line every time guys to get double shifted different things like that and so instead of going for that just run 6D and 12 forwards and keep the lines the same. If you want to rotate a guy here or there to mess with the lines throughout a game, sure, go for it. But you're not completely screwing with the minutes. Yeah. And well, what I didn't understand about it is that if you're concerned with Josh Manson's conditioning, just play him less and play the other D more and keep the the forward lines together. Or, or just don't play him in this series. Well, sure. But I mean, he's got to get back in at some point. No, I, I agree. But but yeah. wait till till they get back home um to to play the the kings have them debut against the kings the kings are not good and, and having them debut against them is a much better scenario than in colorado and back-to-backs i i agree with that like that's fine but i'm just saying there was a way to to get him back in without yeah. going yep. this unnecessary route um but let's let's talk about last night's game shall we i i yeah. feel like we've we spent I a lot of time here on the games that did not go well the only thing to talk, add about the game two nights ago, or yeah, Friday night, that is of importance is that Trevor Zegras had a couple of turnovers, including one in the neutral yes. zone, um, where instead of just getting the puck in deep, chipping it along the boards and, and putting it in deep, he tried to, to stick handle around a guy in the second period in the neutral zone, kind of late in a shift. And instead of 
putting it in deep that ended up allowing the, the avalanche to come back in the zone eventually ended up in a penalty. I believe it was against cam Fowler and the avalanche ended up scoring not on the power play, but basically directly afterwards. So as a result of the power play. Yeah. And, and so and he didn't play the last seven minutes of the second and third. Yep, exactly. And so Dallas Aikens benched him. And to me, this is just poor decision-making from a coaching staff. I, I have my article coming out tomorrow with my five takeaways, and this is obviously uh, one of them. And I understand Dallas Aikens wanting to keep a kid accountable, keep his players accountable when they don't make a play that he thinks is the right play. But with a kid, especially, there's a really fine line between account- accountability and negligence. And especially with a player that's developing and essentially what he's saying is that you tried to make a skillful play. It didn't work out. And as a result, we suffered. So you sit, I'm punishing you for that. Instead of saying there's a much better way of going about it. First off, Cam Fowler still took the penalty. That's not on. Well, that, well that's, Fowler took the, that's penalty. the funny thing. This is something that I've gone back to a million times is that the standard that Zegras has to meet seems so much higher than everyone else on this team. He cannot make a mistake. And yet Derek Grant, I mean, Derek Grant can do whatever he wants out there and it doesn't matter. He faces no consequence. Yeah, exactly. And so, but here it's because he made a fancy play instead of making the quote unquote safe play. Well, look, I I, I think that it's fine to object to that. It's the consequence that's the issue. Yep. And so there's a difference between accountability and benching a guy. Yeah. Uh, And and, I mean, going back to the quote, there's that quote from, uh, but the thing button. is, I, I don't even know if it was really benching him as much as just it was just more of what we've already seen from Dallas Akins, where he is completely unwilling to play Zegers in any kind of high leverage, any kind of medium leverage situation. Yeah, no, yeah. no definitely. But so I've said this quote a bunch, but I want to put it one more time. This is from Craig Button on Trevor Zegers. And I think that Dallas Akins did the exact opposite of this, honestly, in uh in that game on Friday, he said, if they want to want him to quote unquote, be careful and quote unquote, be aware of his defensive responsibilities, they will get a shrunken version of Trevor. He's smart. He's competitive and he's damn good without the puck. I really believe it's in the best interest of the ducks to set him free and play the game. So what a good coach should do there just to, okay. I do want to throw a little cold water on your, your hot take here. Okay, fine. That was a quote when he first got called up. What would Craig Button say now? I would be curious to know after having Craig seen Button him would, in the NHL. I think Craig Button would say that same exact thing. I think that what he no, would say I, is that's you probably don't wanna, true. You don't want to stifle his creativity. Yes, y- he makes that play and you suffer a consequence from it. Well, but I, event, I, I but just you don't think he's so bad that you need to take him well, out all the time. Let, let me let me just add this to that play. If you're the a coach of a team and you have a developing kid like that, what you should do is you should go up to him and say, Hey, I prefer you to make that safe play, uh, a safer play there. But if you now, have now if go you, back and do it again, well, no, know? if you, if you can make that play, I want you to make that, that play, the, the dangle that he was trying to do, but you need to be make, make damn sure that you've got it. And so you don't want to stifle his creativity. That's his game. You don't want him to second guess that if he's second guessing that play, that's going to stifle his, his development. That's going to hurt him long-term. That's the play that he should make. Cause that's what he thinks he should make. And I think yeah. that that's important to not stop that. I think that's where this button quote comes into play and where he would say, no, he should make that play. The issue there is he needs to learn how to make it correctly and get around the guy instead of turning it over. Well, here's also what's killing. I think, uh, Zegers perception. I would say among the coaching staff, a look at the expected goals against per 60. Actually, let's start with goals against per 60 at five on five when he's at, when he's on the ice, 
The Ducks are allowing almost three and a half goals per 60 minutes when Zegras is on the ice. Now, you might think that's because he's such a bad rookie and he's or defensively, he's just not there. But when he's on the ice, the Ducks have had an 86.67 save percentage from their goalies, whoever whoever goalie has been out there, which mostly has been John Gibson. So the goaltending has just been absurdly bad when he's on the ice. And yet his expected goals against per 60 is over a full goal lower than that, than the actual amount that have been scored, the rate that has been scored. So he's just not really getting the bounces defensively when he's out there because his defensive numbers aren't great. He's not, he's not one of the best suppressors on this team, but he's still, he's right next to Fowler and Shattenkirk. And, but when you look at the actual, when he's been out there, it's a completely different story. And I just feel like the coaching staff is probably fixating a little too much on the results as opposed to the process with him. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't think there's anything in his numbers that indicate that he is an actual sieve defensively that just you, you, you have to shelter. Yeah. Or maybe this is proof that the sheltering is working, but I, I don't think that's the case. Yep, completely agreed. So kind of turning this into the, the next point, the Ducks ended up losing this game in overtime uh, to the Colorado Avalanche. Uh, three to two was the final score. And so kind of moving on to the final kind of let's, piece. Let's get to the fun stuff. Yes. Let's yes. get to the fun stuff because a lot of good things happened for the Ducks in this in the game last night against the Colorado Avalanche. They snapped their losing streak, which which is a big one. Really quick, before we do that, I just want to qu- quickly mention this. Josh Mahura played a damn good game in Friday night's game. And yep. one, I quickly mention that because he was actually the one who was on the ice when Val Nachushkin scored the OT winner. And he was the one who Nachushkin went around. Um, one, I briefly say that Mahura was probably one of the best ducks on the ice on Friday night. And even though he ended up uh, being on the ice for that goal and being the guy that kind of might get the reputation of uh, being the reason why that goal was scored, um, he had a fantastic game. And I think he looks yeah. absolutely great. I do think it's somewhat telling that he hasn't come out even despite Manson being healthy. Mm-hmm. Like that should be some kind of a vote of confidence. I would think um, maybe, maybe once the LA series start uh, starts, he'll be, he'll be taken out. But I, I feel like the coaching staff seems to, to trust him somewhat. I mean, they're giving him pretty good minutes. So anyway, I mean, let's talk about last night's game. I feel like I've said that at least seven times at this point, but the Ducks Sorry. win five, four in overtime uh, highlights of the night. First off, Ricard Raquel once again gets on the board and you know just gets a wrist shot to go through. Nothing really fancy there. It's right off of a faceoff. Sam Steele gets it over to him. And uh, look, you wrote about it in your article, and I don't want to spoil it too much, but maybe by the time people are listening, they've already read it. Ricard Raquel has been playing great all year, and he's finally getting rewarded for some of the, the lack of good fortune that he's had up to this point. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about it a bunch. He's just been shooting an insanely low amount. And no matter what he does, like that is going to be, uh, that that's going to come up. And I mean, part of that is going to be, um, part of that is going to be, uh, due to confidence, different things like that. Like people will say he's looking so much more confident right now. And sure that, that plays a part in in, in going, well, that plays, that plays a part in guys going hot and cold. When you're confident, you're going to score above, uh, where you're expected to when no, you're who, kind of who, gra- who are these who are these people you're referring to? Uh 
Actually, no, that, they, they, they no, seem actually, to come that, up a lot. That was Benny. Benny had mentioned that, and I think it's a valid point, confidence. Uh, Benny, formerly of Anaheim calling with us, okay. um, the, the confidence point. But mm-hmm. the th- concept uh, that the broadcast crew mentioned. Ah, uh, 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 it's the broadcast. Uh, the, the concept of the magic is back is just flat out incorrect. Um, well, I think that it also paints Raquel in a bit of a negative light up until now right because it's as if something was magically wrong wrong with him right yeah yeah Um, and let's 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 stay on the neck on the positive trend here because this to me this is the highlight of the of the season maybe this is the best ducks goal i've seen not just this year maybe i don't know the last two years a while a while so broke a bit of a broken play josh mahura preserves possession nice little spin move at the point surveys his options gets it down low broken play in the corner troy terry just fishes the puck out of his skates spins around gets it on his forehand and then just dekes around the colorado defenseman throws on another move on miska and goes back to his backhand and you see him really anchoring that right foot that allows him to get all of his weight on the right so he can shift over to the left and just tucks it home Nice little celebration jumps into the glass. And, you know, with Troy Terry, I feel like everyone seems to have like a, a set in stone, like psychoanalysis of him. Everyone always talks about his confidence and Dallas Akins even talks about how he's sometimes looks like a bad dancer out on the ice. And everyone just has these like mystical reasons for, for why he's struggling. He's a good hockey player. And if you let him play, he's going to do things that good hockey players do like score goals. And on that play, you saw the skills, you saw the footwork, you saw the hands, you saw the awareness, just even the thought to make that play. And for a guy who's been even in a small market like Anaheim, you know, in terms of the NHL, a guy who's been kind of scrutinized more so than I would say is fair of his performance and especially relative to his teammates. I was actually really happy for him to just get that goal and to just kind of stick it to the haters. Yeah, to the haters. he's he's a good hockey player. And the I mean, I said this last year and I'll say it again this year. The Ducks are better when Troy Terry's on the ice than when he's off the ice. <laughs> and, and, and it's really that simple. And he makes plays and makes creative plays finding guys. No, he's not going to be a, a 50, 60 point player. He's not going to be a first liner, most likely. But he's going to be a guy that can put up 30 or 40 points, probably um, and, and give you positive play towards the other team's net and never really have to defend because he's always in the other team's uh, offensive zone or other team's defensive zone in his own offensive zone. And so this is like, it's a whole situation of expectations and and it's kind of crazy how people's expectations can really screw over things, AKA Nick Ritchie um, and really mess with your perception of things. If you expect Troy Terry to be a first line talent, you're going to be disappointed. But if you look at him in the context and the lens of this is a guy that's just going to give you positive play. Sure. You'd want him to score more, but he's not, he's, he's making 1.7, 1. 1. point. Let me get the actual number. So I'm not just kind of quoting it off the top of my head. I want to be accurate with this, but he's not making a whole lot. Like if that's what you get out of him, that's a really positive thing at the end of the day. He's making, let me see really quickly right here. He's making 1.45 million for the next three years. Like that's insanely good if you're getting that basically. And so Troy Terry's a really good player. And I think it was really nice to see him put that goal in the net. I mean, he obviously came into the NHL with the reputation of a shootout score for, based on his world junior performances. So it's nice to be he able to see one him. shootout. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, and, and so it's nice to see him do that. And so kind of circling back to, uh, the game on the whole, really nice to see Troy Terry get off the, uh, well, get a, get two a goal. goals in this game, by the way. Yeah, he did. <laughs> and, and so really nice to see him get, get some goals, uh, going for him. Really nice to see, obviously, Ricard Raquel keep his scoring up. Yeah. Um, it, what, what I thought about this game is all the whipping boys got their due because Troy Terry scored two goals. His second goal, I mean, it's going to be hard to top the first one, just kind of a wrist shot that gets through a crowd, beats Miska. And then Kevin Shattenkirk gets on the board to tie the game late uh, with just under three minutes left, a point shot or like a half point shot that goes in through a crowd again. And Ricard Raquel, we talked about scoring earlier in the game. And then in overtime, Ryan Getzlaff power play goal off of a really nice feed from Ricard Raquel. And, and this is like one of the few plays that the Ducks on the power play have been able to kind of execute with some degree of regularity, just the shot pass that gets all the way through for the tip. So I was just happy for the guys who have seemed to carry the brunt of the criticism this season to, to see them get their due and, and to just have something to feel good about in what has been such a demoralizing last two to three weeks. Yeah. Well, 100%. And so it, it's nice to see them come off, uh, get some goals, really score. Is it time to start kind of talking about the negative here though? Is it time? Well, let's let's hold off on that for just just a little longer. Fight fight the urge just okay. a little longer. Okay. Because I, I think that there are again just more things I want to point out about things that went well. I thought that, you know, Josh Mahura, once again in this contest, had a really good game. I mean, if you look at his shot metrics, um, you know, fifty four point one seven Corsi four percentage. And from a shot quality perspective, he was he was fine as well. So I think that the theme that's emerged for me with this Ducks team, and this, it kind of waxes and wanes depending on the game, but it's that the Ducks youth movement is, is fully underway. Like look at the numbers from this game. Troy Terry, 69.34% expected goals, four percentage. Max Contois, 69.14 expected goals, four percentage. Josh Mahura, well above 55. So like, this is the future of the team that's contributing, that's getting on the board. We've talked about Max Contois, uh, you know, ad nauseum this season. So that, if you want to look for a positive in the last week, I would say it's that the kids are leading the way. The veterans are catching up now as well. Max Jones has been excellent. You know, he 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 he's in a bit of a rough patch right now. He had to leave last night's game with the injury, but overall, that is something to to really hang your hat on if you're a Ducks fan. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I think unless we're talking about Sam Steele, of course. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you, you thought I was just going to be positive the whole way through. Come on now. Yeah. You guys know me better than that. Yeah. <laughs> so let, before we get into the negative, because I think that there's a lot of negatives to talk about with this game. I think it's time for a little bit of a, a word from our sponsor. Yes. Take it away, Jake. So get prepared for St. Patrick's Day with a mans- uh, Manscaped if you're going to get a little lucky. Manscaped is the global leader for the below-the-waist grooming and the official sponsor of uh, Crash the Pond. To ensure you have the best tools for your family jewels, visit manscaped.com and you can use code CTP for 20% off and free uh, international shipping. So it's now just not free shipping, but also international shipping. Yeah. Um. So... You're in luck because the Manscaped Performance Package is the ultimate men's hygiene bundle. Um, Felix, included in this in this uh, new package 
is the weed whacker for ear and nose hair trimmer, which you and I both have. What what have been your thoughts on the the weed whacker? So when it comes to the weed whacker, first of all, I think that we have to point out that it is waterproof and that it uses a 9,000 RPM motor powered 360 degree rotary dual blade system. Now that's a lot of words. It's a lot of numbers. We are a numbers friendly show, but to really simplify it for people like Jake, who maybe have a nose hair problem, Thanks. we'll call it, we'll call it that. Um, we'll, we'll call it that the weed whacker comes through because it's 360 degree. It gets everything there. There are no spots that are missed. Now me personally, I have tried it very comfortable, no issues. I don't, I don't feel violated after using it, putting it in my nose. It's not like a COVID test or anything like that. It gets the job done. And I do think that if you're someone who's got a, a little, a little fluff in the schnoz, it's going to come through for you. Yeah, and included in this package is also the Lawnmower 3.0 trimmer, which is the best trimmer that you can find. Their third generation trimmer features cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. So you'll be uh, confident shaving your thunder down under. Uh, you and your partner uh, will both enjoy this. Um, and included also in this is the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and Crop Pre uh, Reviver Ball Toner to maximize your ball hygiene routine. Um, and also you get two gifts with this, the Manscaped Boxers and the Shed Travel Bag. So the performance package is the best value Manscaped has to offer and is hot off the shelves. So you can get 20% off and free shipping with the code CTP at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code CTP. There's gold at the end of the rainbow with Manscaped. Bravo. Bravo. That, that was maybe your best one yet, Jake. Thank you. Thank you. I, you know, I, I, I don't I, know I'd like I'm... to, I'd like to apologize for throwing you under the bus there, but with the nose hair comment, do you have ear hair? No. People in the no. chat are asking about ear hair. No, not, not a thing for me. Nose hair is a thing. I nose feel like that's not, that's not something that happens until you get a little older. Just Potentially. Hair starts sprouting out of your ears. Um, I don't know. Sorry. This went down a weird path. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, so um, we've we've covered the games. Um, but yes, I think I think that there are some troubling trends. Yes, you know, to, so, to come out of this game. And to me, just off the top, want to get this out of the way. Trevor Zegers being scratched is yep. not a good look for this yep. team. Yep. It, it's a really bad look, honestly. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, there's potentially, I mean, let, let's just throw this out there because it's obviously part of the conversation. He's played in six games. Once he plays in his seventh game, he burns his first year of his unrestricted free agent uh, or sorry of his ELC, not UFA of uh, first year of his ELC. So this counts as his first year. So I wonder if the ducks are potentially really thinking that through. I've made the argument here a couple of different times that it's actually not a bad thing to, to burn the first year of a contract, because especially right now, it doesn't seem like his point totals are going to become elevated super high. It's, so it's overrated. It's, yeah. it's really like, I think people fixate on it a lot and like, they just don't even account for the situation or the other possible factors at play. Yep, exactly. So I, I think it's really irrelevant to the conversation at the end of the day with Trevor's egress, in my opinion, personally. Um, and, and so it's something that obviously people are going to want to hear us mention. So there it is for you. So I don't know how much that plays a part in it. He is still on the roster. Um, so as, as of right now, now the ducks roster has, they've, they've done some tweaking. I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's because of us, but the moves 
get announced the day after now, as opposed yeah. to when they actually but happen. Her cap friendly, cap friendly later on in the day announces every or puts out everything that's happened. So he's actually the so just so everyone knows before we get into this game, the, the moves that were made today were Chase DeLeo and Andy Walensky were put back on the goals. Jamie Drysdale, surprisingly enough, is still actually on the taxi squad. He's been on the taxi squad all weekend, did not play for the goals as a result of that. And so with that move, the Ducks were actually left with only three players on the taxi squad. So they moved uh, Trevor Zegras, Josh Mahura, and Vinny Letary to the taxi squad today. So if you're the Ducks, I don't think you do that. You, I think you send Zegras down if you're not planning to play him. Um, I, I just want to quickly throw this out there. Guys moving back and forth from the taxi squad is normal. Um, it's not abnormal this season. It's a it's a way to minimize your roster size on non-game days to limit your cap hit accrual on that day. So we could very well see, and I expect both Trevor Zegras and Josh Maher to be activated off the taxi squad onto the main roster tomorrow uh, for the Ducks game. So having said all that, uh, Trevor Zegras was scratched from this game. I think that he's probably going to get another game. I think they're going to burn the year, but the thought process here is what, kind of what gives you that confidence. Just curious. What gives me that confidence is he played in six straight games. I, I yeah. think that I, I think that you don't play him in six straight games if you're questioning whether he's going to burn his ELC. But it, you also it, isn't the timing a little. No, no, I, I think that it's worth bringing into the conversation, yeah, obviously. Like, like but, the timing means to me you can't fully rule it out. No, you can't. Like, but I, I don't, I, I think that there's obviously a chance that he doesn't play and they don't burn the year and that that's it. And, and they want to save the year and that matters. Can you imagine though, if he spent the rest of the season in the AHL? Picture, picture how pissed people will be. Well, yes. Yeah, so that's the thing. Not only is, so I would just, think that it's not the best move for him. I think that he's shown already enough in the AHL that he needs to just take his lumps in the NHL yep. and also find his successes in the NHL. I don't think it's enough now for him to just beat up the AHL and, and accumulate points there. I think he's got to do it the hard way in the NHL, but also from a fan engagement perspective, like what do the ducks have going for them right now in that department? You, you know, we, we may be able to see fans at Honda center, by the very end of the season with the way California is opening back up a little bit. But outside of that, there's just not a whole lot to really to, I mean, I'm sorry, like maybe this is a little harsh, but there's not a ton to tune in for night in and night out with this team. And if you're going to send the one guy down that everybody wants to watch play, not even just in Anaheim and Orange County, but across the hockey world, everyone mm -hmm. wants to see Trevor Zegers mm -hmm. play. Like you're kind of, you're, you're taking the fun out of it, the, the, the attraction yeah. out of it a little bit, I would say. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah exactly. So I, I agree with that completely. So that that's kind of where, where I'm at. I think he probably draws in against the Kings. I doubt that they still go seven, uh, seven D 11 forwards. I think he mm -hmm. draws back in, but kind of circling back to the game against the avalanche where he was not in, I think in some ways he was missed on the power play. I think really the, the ducks benefited from playing Hunter Miska. That, yeah. that's at the end of the day the big thing here like mm -hmm. we said at the top uh spencer who's in our twitch chat and is a patron of the show who's an avalanche fan clearly says he's an ahl goalie that, yeah. that's his that's his talent level that's who he is that he's not an nhl caliber goalie yeah and and, and against against la they're not going to get the, the the goalie handicap because no. Kyle peterson has been extremely good this yeah. season yeah 100 and so 
to me, like you look at this game, the Ducks were on the the wrong end of the stick in terms of uh, expected goals for percentage. They were at 42.5%. Same thing with Corsi for percentage. I mean, it, it's pretty easy to say they got outplayed by the Avalanche. And basically the reason why they were in this game is due to, I mean, you could argue in some ways it's puck luck because the puck luck came in the sense of they were playing a poor goalie. And it, as we talked about with the the game against the blues, they didn't necessarily get the puck look in that game when they probably should have, they should have won that game on the whole, mm-hmm. this game, you could maybe argue the opposite where they didn't deserve to win, but they finally got that puck luck. And so it does mm-hmm. even it's out, uh, even itself uh, out over time, which I'm fine with. The issue I have with it is the process in the, the game that created the win was poor and that could create long-term problems for this ducks team. Is I, if, yeah, if, if Dallas Aikens, has takeaways from this game as being this is the reason why we won we won this game because the lineup decision because of Derek grant being in the lineup because i scratched scratched trevor zegras when in reality no they they played poor they didn't deserve and and i and that does need to be pointed out and i i want to again i'm apologizing a lot today maybe it's because i'm canadian who knows but the ducks i'm i'm apologizing for repeating myself so much this season but the ducks need to stop playing Derek grant so much like he legitimately makes this team worse when he's out there at five on five and arguably on the penalty kill. Like, I don't even think he's been good on the penalty kill either this season. His numbers haven't been good there in a game where so many ducks players put, put up really strong numbers at five on five. He was abysmal in that respect. I mean, the, the ratio of expected goals against to four was three to one with him on the ice. Like he was just so poor. And, and the fact that he, seemingly is untouchable when guys like Zegers are coming out or we've seen Terry be scratched in the past or Danton Heinen coming back out, coming back out in this game. It, it really does boggle the mind a little yeah, bit. And sorry, definitely. Danton Heinen did play in this game, but yeah, my apologies. But I, I think I, I was thinking something else, but yeah, I, I want to mention this real quick on this game. In addition to, to that, the decision by Dallas Aikens to, to ice seven forwards and 11, seven uh, D and 11 forwards Came back to bite him even more because an injury came, which left them with only 10 forwards. And yeah. it was obvious watching the game in the third period that the Ducks were gassed. Yeah. They were on the back-to-back in Colorado for both games where the, the air is thinner. It's harder to play. And he's asking his guys. He's specific. And now, granted, he can't control an injury, but he put out an 11 forward lineup. He specifically iced less forwards and one extra defenseman and put his forwards at a disadvantage yeah. of us as a result of it. And it really came back to bite them in this game by in the third period. And by the just, way, they like, looked gassed. Why again, why is it that Hutton and Larson are just, again, same thing with Derek Grant. Why are they untouchable in this, in this lineup? Yeah. And the, well, you know, the, the, the Dallas Akins calls them our, our two lefties back there. They're just bad, righty or lefty. Yeah. Like they've just haven't been good together. And I and at and at this point, I don't know who gets the blame out of those well, two because they just haven't worked. I want to mention this because people may say, well, the Ducks ended up scoring two goals in the third period, so they couldn't have been that gas. Like I said, one of those goals came off a really bad play. Granted, Troy Terry put the puck on net, went in, but Hunter Miska played it awful. And the second goal in the third period came on the power play, which mm-hmm. that's the great equalizer if your gas is getting a power play and having the man advantage. But like the ducks put themselves at a disadvantage in this game with their strat coaching strategy. And the thing that frustrates me is that this poor decision may get replicated in the future. Cause this resulted in a win. 
and, and that's the yep. concern for me out of this is out of all games for the Ducks to win, this should not have been the one. It should have been the one against the Blues. Now, granted, mm-hmm. coulda, shoulda, woulda, that you yeah. can't control everything. Like things aren't going to go your way. Hockey's a high variance sport where you're going to win games you shouldn't, you shouldn't, and lose games that you should win. But I'm just worried about the long term implications from this game. So I have three questions for you. Okay. Before we get into maybe listener questions. Yeah. So where are you at after this week where we did see a hat trick on Isaac Lundestrom? I'm yeah, I, I'm still <laughs> that side. That yeah. side says a lot to me. I think I'm higher on him than I used to be. I, I think okay. that, that that's for sure. I, I think there is some recency bias in that. No doubt. I, he scores a hat trick that that's going to, boost up his reputation in terms of potential offensive uh, ability. There, there's something there that I didn't necessarily expect in terms of scoring ability, but I don't know if my opinions necessarily change. I don't see him as a big play driver in the sense. I don't think he's that I, great I in really, his own zone. I really he, recommend that you put up his RAPM chart in our, in our Twitch chat here, because I think it kind of tells the story. Um, essentially, so people are about to see it here in the, bear, in the stream. Bear with me one sec, everyone. Our screens may be messed up because I need to update our uh, our Uh-oh. feeds. Okay. So. Well, you don't have to do it. No, no. I'll, I'll show the it. Only, it's just you, you won't have our people. People the, won't have our, our own video feed. So bear with me one second here. Let me get this updated for everyone. So the point uh, I was trying to make is that Lundestrom, although he is getting all these accolades about the fact that he's been scoring goals, the fact that he's been elevated in the lineup and that, you know, things are going well. If you look at his actual numbers, there's really not a whole lot to write home about. He's been good defensively. He suppresses shot volume against. And it's up on the screen quality. right now, by the way. Yeah. So he breaks even in terms of shot quality and in terms of shot volume, he is good at suppressing that. But in all other categories, and this is including actual goal generation, he's he's below league average or you know whatever term you want to use there in terms of shot generation and shot quality. And to me, this actually checks out more of just my own valuation of him and also what I've seen is that there are elements of his game that I think have gotten a little better. I think he's a bit more solid um, in terms of preserving possession. And I think that's what helps those suppression numbers is that He's good at entering the zone. He's good at defending along the wall. He has gotten a little stronger on his edges, but I don't see this big leap offensively. Like, yeah, he got a hat trick and that's great. And that speaks to his ability. It also speaks to Ville Husso being in net. And I just, I would caution people to, you know, people that are just so ready to anoint him as, I mean, I'm seeing people on Twitter who I think have a reasonable understanding of numbers say that he's like the Ducks' second best prospect. I'm just, I'm not there at all. And I'm, I think that the numbers would agree with, with me yeah. and you. <laughs> I, I mean, here, here's where I'm at on Lundestrom. I think coming into the season, I probably would have thought he would be a fourth line center. I yeah. think right now, maybe I'll think he could be a third. Well, I think like, okay, here's what we can say. Here's what we can say. Here's what we do know about Isaac Lundestrom. Uh, he's probably better than Sam Steele. Yes. <laughs> I, I would agree with that statement. I mean, he's younger than Sam Steele by about what two years, I think. Yeah, um, like he's years. already he's already shown more at a younger age, and that's that to me that says a lot. Yeah, one hundred percent. So, um, yeah, I, I think that that kind of answers your question to me. What okay. you said, you had three questions, right? Uh, yes, I do have three questions. So, what did you think of Josh Manson since he did return to the lineup for the first time in a long time? <sighs> 
Um, I think he had a couple quiet games. Uh, I haven't honestly. Let me take a quick look he at was, some of the numbers out of he curiosity. Was, but he, he looked. His numbers were fine last night. I did yeah. think he was hunting for the open ice hits a lot. Yes. Yes. And like, I think it was very he, obvious. Yeah. And he, I mean, he was at, let me see real quick, 51% expected goals, 4%. I mean, I think that overall he played a pretty quiet game in both games, which is honestly when, when Josh Manson's playing a quiet game, I think that's when he's at his best when you don't notice him when he goes out of his way to try to make the big hit, which he tried to do, like you said, a couple times last night, that's when he gets into trouble because he puts himself out of position in the process. And so I think on the whole, I think we saw a much better version of Josh Manson uh, last night. I think the issue that we have is the seven defenseman issue. I mean, you're, you're swapping him in for someone rotating guys out and not getting any chemistry with your D pairs as a result. Yeah. And and so I just think it unnecessarily, screwed up the flow. I, I don't know how else to say it, even though they did win. Um, okay. So you seem to be kind of lukewarm ish. I think I he, know. I think he looked okay. I mean, looking at, so I'm just curious at who his partners were partners were out of curiosity, looking at time on ice. He played six minutes with Ben Hutton and then two minutes with Jacob Larson. And that was it. So, I mean, it seems as if kind of looking at those numbers and that was from uh, last night's game, um, it seems like they may just put him on the third pairing and keep Fowler Hawkenpaw, which I mean, I don't know how you feel about that, but I feel like that's a mistake. So I think that the Yanni Hawkenpaw experiment is reaching this kind of insane level where people seem to be really convinced that he's been awesome. I do think that there are elements of his game that mm-hmm. have been really good. I think agreed. That he, agreed. He, he has been really good at suppressing shots against. He's been really good. He's at been good cle- at, at clearing the front of the net. He's but, been good at. He's been good at times also with neutral uh, denying zone entries at times. I, I think what's driving the perception of him though is mostly just the fact that the Ducks are getting some of the bounces when he's out there. I also and, and I don't think that that's entirely on him. I also think Cam Fowler has been playing extremely good hockey the last 10 games or so. And I think Cam because Fowler's he's just, just been good this season on the whole, but yeah, he's yeah. looked great. Yeah. Yeah. He he's really, but he's really found his stride. And I think part of it is people view Cam Fowler's success and they associate Yanni Hawk and Paul with that as compared to Cam Fowler, just being a good defenseman and, and that being more so the right. I mean, the, more so why. And honestly, that makes me more so wanting to see Josh Manson with Cam Fowler. Cause I think Cam Fowler had his best season of his career last season. Yeah. And I think that he's playing like that right now on that same level. And for the couple of games that we saw Josh uh, Manson play with Fowler, their numbers were outstanding last year. Mm-hmm. And I really would like to see that again. And I feel like the ducks are just, I mean, it's a, it, it's the same old story with, with Dallas Akins at this point, it's misusing, misoptimizing the lineup and really going with his guys. I mean, the, I, I think if people are buying too much into Yanni Hawkball, he's fine. And no doubt, like he, he he's, he's, he, he's just fine. Like he's, he's a, he's a, he's a, fine. he should be your sixth defenseman. Well, my, my issue with Hawk and Paw is just that he really doesn't give you much offensively. He's really just out there to do one thing. He does it well, like you could even argue very well, but it's just, it's a bit limited for how much he's playing. And like, for example, like you said, with Manson, there's just maybe a little more upside there, but the Ducks, let's admit, don't have a wealth of options on the back end either. I think yep. that, 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 that should be accounted for. Okay. My third question, and then maybe we'll, we'll turn it over. So if people want to start getting questions in here, unless you had something else. 
Uh, I have Adam, one other thing after this. Okay, Adam Henrique is like a regular in the lineup now. Yeah, it's almost as if they shouldn't have they, they shouldn't have waived him. Like, like, where are you at on this whole Henrique situation? I mean, the way where I'm at with the whole Henrique situation is that they should have been looking to move him, no doubt. But the thought process of that they waived him because of his poor play and he needed to be woken up. I mean, it's the same thing that that I said with Ricard Raquel, the the quote unquote narrative street that um the the narrative street that that you hear in, in various different things about Ricardo Raquel is so similar to Adam Henrique. It's not as if that these guys are bad players. The puck just doesn't go in from time to time for guys, and that doesn't make them bad players. Like mm-hmm. this, this is where having all of the numbers that we have are, is, is so important. Be, mm-hmm. Because all at the end of the day, it's information. Goals happen so infrequently. I mean, we they happen what the ducks have, the ducks average what two to three goals a game. Sure, we're, we're twenty games in, so we're at what forty to fifty goals, forty mm-hmm. to sixty goals in that range, as compared to shots where you're getting. Guys take six shots a game if they're taking a lot of shots and it adds up over time. It just, it, it's baffling to me that the narrative that happened on Adam and Reek, he was a good player. Obviously I think that he should be looking to be moved. Yeah, um, like he hasn't been amazing this season, but that, yeah, the narrative was certainly overblown on him. Yeah. And so, all right. So here's the only other thing that I've got then okay. is the Ducks really need to rethink their goal usage. Shaken Wings is asking, can we get a Jake Grant? This is probably the closest I'm going to get uh, to that. But the Ducks are absolutely destroying John Gibson right now. And, and it's beyond frustrating to see right now. Um, they are they are playing him. Uh, let me really quickly, like I, you said, my takeaways article is going to come up tomorrow. And this will be obviously a part of it. But John Gibson has played in 20, has started in 20 of the 25 games for the Ducks this season, including... There was that Blues game. Granted, he only played a couple of minutes in the beginning in the first game, but he played both games in the back-to-back. He he started both games technically. And so he started in 20 of 25 games. That's on pace to start 45 um, uh, games this season. Or if we were to prorate this to regular season 82 games, it would be 65 games. That is insane. Like, I, I took a quick look because I was curious. The, the two players, two players tied for the most games played last season at 58 games started. And that was Carey Price and Connor Hellebuck. And, yeah, and how'd that and, go for Price? Yeah, exactly. The, like, the, we have information. Like, Dallas Akins is not a dumb guy. He should know this. You should know that you run a goalie into the ground, it's going to hurt you long-term. John Gibson, to start the year, I think he was, what, 7.0? Something in that well, range of GSAX. The case, and, and, the case for resting John Gibson was made how in how well he started the year yes. after having resting for, yes. for the past few months. And when he got no rest, he start he started to come back. He started he, the year he, and he, he would, does he was, seem to be really affected by usage. Yeah. Like and, and, more than and, any other goalie I've seen in a while. He was first in the league. Maybe it was like seven or eight games into the season in GSAX. And he's now come back down to earth and is actually negative. He's at negative uh, 2.97. Yeah. Ne- almost negative three, which means basically if you were to replace him with an average goalie now, granted, usage all of those things aren't factored into all of this and so rest everything like that but just an average performance in every single game they would save three more goals than john gibson has over the course of this season and there's obviously some qualifiers there we had kat silverman on our podcast over summer and she mentioned some issues that that are that do occur with that stat but obviously it's just kind of an easy way to to qualify i I do want to i do want to point out though yeah i do want to point out and this is not to take anything away from your point is that he has looked shaky at times. Like, and I, and I don't think it's purely because of him being tired. Like he, 
he makes some really awful save selection decisions. At, like, but how like, much of how much of that is just wear and tear and the fact that no, 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 like, like you don't have to become okay. Well, now you're basically saying that because he's tired, he's becoming dumb. Fair enough. I don't know. Like, like the poke, like, especially the poke checking, you know, when guys are coming out of the corner or the, the pad stacking, you know, things like that, that are just, that have always been in his game. Like these are not new, new things. True. True. But they're, they're kind of getting exposed this season a little bit. And I just, I mean, look, I know, Oh God, am I going to do this? I'm so sorry. I know that the Ducks goalie coach says he's a feel good story. He sounds like a fantastic guy. Oh, you're going there. Wow. But, but why, why is this still in John Gibson's game? Like he shouldn't be doing these things. They don't work. The, the poke checking out of the corner guys just angle around that the, the flying poke checks in the, on the shootout. And he's been asked about this and he says like, like he, to his credit, I'm pretty sure he's tried. But we saw the Canadians just fire their goalie coach, right? Like, it's not this crazy thing that goalie coaches get held accountable. And look, Ryan Miller hasn't been that great either this season. Um, So I'm just wondering here what's going wrong, right? And I do think that moving forward, and this is maybe something we touched on in our last Patreon pod, is that the Ducks need to invest in things like skills development and also invest in their goaltending department because it seems like it's a bit of an island over there. And I, I don't know how well it's being managed right now. Yeah. So getting back to my point <laughs> to, to start all of this, the Ducks should rest <laughs> John Gibson more because yeah, they shouldn't like bare minimum. Let him like, rest. Yeah. Like uh, to me. So I, I quickly did the math on this when I was writing my article. I think you and I both agree. Ideally, a goalie, a starting goalie should play around 50 games. I, I think that's really kind of where it's at in the modern modern day game. 50 games for the starter, 32 games for the backup. I, I think that that's a pretty decent split. I think you're even closer to almost like a half half split between yeah. the two of them where you're at. Um, but I, as, I think somewhere as in that low range, as possible, as low so, as possible, somewhere in that range of 50, 30 ish, 40, 40 or 41, 44 in that range, I think is, is the money spot to put it. Whereas right now. Uh, so like I said, John Gibson is on place to pay on pace to play in 45 games. The 50 game max would prorate to around 34 games this season. So the Ducks are doing themselves a disservice by playing John Gibson so much. And it's not as if they were winning games with him playing. Like, go ahead, give him some rest so you can, you'll, you'll end up, you're hurting yourself more now by playing him so much. And well, it's, they're, they're also like not getting their money's worth long-term because yeah. he's on the hook for a few more years and a lot more years. Yeah. He's, he's on the hook for five more years, six more years. And this wear and tear isn't, gonna go away this is a cumulative process and i just there just seems to be a lack of evidence-based approach in the way that they're using him let's just put it that way yep 100 i com- completely agreed so I-, I think that that's kind of the only other point that i would kind of make in all of this is that their usage of, usage of john gibson has been painful i i think to say the least yeah I- and i think that the um, I think I took a look. I don't know off the top of my head, but I think they have like four or five more, um, more back to back. So it's not as if they have a significant amount of back to backs left in this year. Like the Ducks do you, need. Do to you st- think we see Anthony Stolarz at all this season? No. Wow. Harsh. No. Um, I, I, I think that the reason why, um, well, they're I don't, barely playing their backup as it is. So what do you need a third goalie for? Well, I also think that they. <laughs> 
they're not even allowing him to to get in the game as a backup. Like they the what they are doing with Anthony Stolarz is they're sending him down to the goals to play in games and calling up Lucas Dostal to the taxi squad to have three goalies. So they're essentially using Stolarz in the Stolarz has played had more appearances for the goals than he's had for the Ducks this yeah, year. My my question in all of this is how much of this is just they don't trust Ryan Miller right now and they misjudged what he could do. Um, I mean, to be fair, we were also saying he should come back. And because of that total lack of trust in Miller, they are just, again, doing the same thing they've done in the past with Gibson. Or is it also a matter of they don't trust Miller and they don't trust Stolarz? You know, they don't want to offend Ryan Miller and call up Anthony Stolarz and see what he can do in those starts. Because to me, I'm at that point where you're not getting anything out of Miller. You're barely getting anything out of Gibson. Try a new goalie. Try a new backup goalie and see how that goes. And maybe that kind of, maybe if Stolarz can have a, a couple good starts, then maybe all of a sudden uh, you can give Gibson some more time off and you don't, and you can let Miller work out whatever is, is ailing him right now. Um, and oh, by the way, is starting Anthony Stolarz such a bad thing in a season where let's just say you're, you're not uh, against having a higher draft position either. Yeah, definitely. So, like it, it, yeah. So I, I think they really need to be kind of taking a hard look at how uh, they are using uh, John Gibson for both their own benefit now and the benefit in the future. Like it, it's just better for them overall. So ready to get into some questions? Yes. So uh, for those of you watching the YouTube version of the show, yes, we're on YouTube. Find us at youtube.com slash crash the pond. Subscribe there. Really helps out. YouTube's been growing a lot, but um, I know if you're watching this on YouTube, we don't have everyone that's watching this show being subscribed to the channel. So if you want to subscribe to the channel or channel there, it helps a lot. Um, and are on all your favorite podcast services. Also, we do a live stream of the show each and every time at twitch.tv slash crash the pond. Um, and so if you want to join us here every single Sunday at 8 PM is when we go live, you can help support the show. If you have Amazon prime, you get one free Twitch prime sub each and every uh, month. You uh, have to hit that subscribe button after 30 days, but it helps out helps out or helps us keep this show going. So we're going to get into some questions right now. So Nate, who's a good patron of the show brings up, uh, what are our thoughts on the John Gibson rumors? So there were some rumors that came out of Buffalo this week, I believe. So that- the, the rumor was that the Buffalo Sabres asked on John Gibson. I mean, yep. that's, that that's, is the rumor. That's pretty, that's pretty much the, the, the long and the short of it. Um, I'm not surprised that the Buffalo Sabres are, are trying stuff. Uh, it's, it's probably what they should be doing in addition to firing their coach. Now, I guess to make this question and the response a little more interesting is should the ducks be, how much should the ducks be engaging in, in these conversations? You know, is it just a hard no every time to you? Um, I think you listen to what they're willing to do. I think that I, I think that no, with anything right now, you need to be open. I think there are two people on this entire in this entire duck system who are untouchable, mm-hmm. and though that is Trevor Zegers and Jamie Drysdale. Mm-hmm. And I think outside of that, you and if someone calls about someone, um, you have to listen. So just to give just to flesh out the details a bit more, um, so the the Sabers have an interest in John Gibson. They inquired about him in the off season. And then again, about a month into the season. And so both times, and this is from expectedbuffalo.com, uh, which is a very good 
Sabres website, which I recommend you check out. Both times that the the Ducks told them that they had no interest in moving him. Now, that was last summer when the Ducks were in the offseason, when the Ducks were fancying themselves a team that could push for the playoffs. And in the beginning of the season where things hadn't fully come off the rails yet. So I would still venture to say that the Ducks probably don't have an interest in moving him, but maybe their ears are a little more open this time around. Yeah. I, and I think, I think if you're the Ducks, the conversation starts with Jack Eichel. Ho ho. Wow. Disagree. Ho ho ho. Oh my. Disagree. Uh, well, okay. Let me ask you this. How, I know Jack Eichel's not old by any means. Like he, he's firmly in his prime. He's 24, but how much does he fit right now into the Ducks kind of where they're at? Because to me, the Ducks are so far behind the eight ball. I just don't know. Where do you you're, stand? On you're it? getting five years of him. Yeah. 10 million five, a year. Five years of him in his, I, I, is that what's left on his deal? I'm talking about his prime. You're getting five years of him in his yeah. prime. Yeah. And I mean, he, he aligns with a lot of the, the guys on the ducks roster, the, the more so the kind of, uh, the guys along the exterior, but the, the Troy Terry's, the Sam Steele's, the Max Joneses. he he's in the same age range as those guys. First off, yeah. think about that. He's similar age to those guys and he's putting up ridiculous. And it feels like points. he's been in the league forever. Yeah. Well, look, I, I agree with you. Like, I, I think that what else do you really want from the Buffalo Sabres? I mean, do you want Dylan cousins? Right. I mean, maybe that's the other place that you look at is one of their, I mean, their best prospect. Right. I mean, I don't know their prospect pool by heart. Maybe Jack want, Quinn. Yep. Don't want maybe Jack some, Quinn. Yeah. I, I'm not super high on Jack Quinn. So maybe you ask for, um, maybe you ask for Dylan cousins just because of the fit in terms of the age yeah. and the fact that he's still on his ELC, but Jack Eichel is the established value. And this is now kind of a bit outside of the the nitty gritty, but I do love the kind of idea that the Ducks could have a good chunk of Team USA up front. I mean, if Troy Terry ever makes it, and then you've got Eichel and Zegris up there, yeah. um, I think that that'd be pretty fun too. Yep. All right. So question from Shadow Ops Gaming 13 says, off topic, but if you're the GM, who do you take in this year's draft? So I know you haven't really started your draft prep too much yet. No. I've, I've started mine. Oh, I've started mine. Showing Scott Wheeler. Up. Scott Showing Wheeler had uh, Scott Wheeler's come out with his article. He had own power, I believe. Uh, let me just run through really quickly the the list because might as well let, let, let's put this out there. Scott Wheeler, <laughs> I think, is yours and my favorite uh, draft uh, uh, draft follow. Um, he writes for the Athletic, and so um, he typically does a ranking though of all the different players, and he does a really good job of throwing them into tiers. And I think this year more so than other years. Um, the tiers are important understanding kind of where guys are, because the, the thing about this, this year's draft more so than any years is there's not exactly a player that's separating themselves at the top of the top. Some guys could have a guy at first overall on their list. And some guys could have that same player fourth or fifth. And so you may be able to get the guy that you had at fourth overall at fourth and or first overall at fourth. And honestly, to me, I know some people will say, great, this is the worst year to be awful. I actually kind of look at the opposite way and maybe that's just optimist in me, but this is a great year to be bad because basically it takes all of the, the luck of the lottery out of it. You don't have to, if you're bad, you're not relying on the lottery to get you a good pick. It allows you to be in, if you get second, third, fourth, you could get the player that you were going to have at first anyways. And so it really takes a lot of the luck situation out of it. And I think that that's actually 
an interesting way to think about it. So really quickly running through uh, the top tier per Scott Wheeler, his top tier includes, as I get to it, uh, Owen Power, Kent Johnson, Brant Clark, Luke Hughes, and Maddie Beneers. Uh, Power, Clark Hughes are all defensemen. Kent Johnson and Maddie Beneers are uh, both forwards. And then also a player that I personally actually really like who isn't in his top tier, but uh, elite prospects actually as is their number one prospect is William Eklund. And he's putting up some really good numbers over in Europe. Uh, Scott Willie did a really good job of chronicling kind of his season though. Um, and kind of his concerns with it. So William Eklund's a guy that I actually have my eyes on personally. So there's some draft talk for everyone. Yeah. Uh, Ginger Wolf uh, asked us, is there a beat reporter or someone who consistently throw tweets slash post info uh, like lines at practice game day, daily news, et cetera, Eric Stevens. Uh, and so for that, Eric Stevens and Elliot Tiford are going to really be your go-to uh, for that type of info. But this year uh, there are not anyone at practices. So there's really not anyone to follow for that info at, at this point in well, time. I, you know, I think the latter part of that question, while the secrets Look, the Ducks are there. They run a tight ship. They, they, there's not, you don't hear a lot of, you know, anonymous sources with reports out of Anaheim, right? This is an organization that doesn't let a lot slip. They, they make a point of controlling the message, which, hey, like if, if you're a team, if you're a company, if you're anything, you probably, you probably do want that. And so that's also just why in general, you don't hear a whole lot. Now I do think though, that fans kind of would like to know the lines, right? Like they, like maybe a little more just like in terms of basic information. I don't think that that's crazy. I don't think that they're giving up anything there, but I think it starts from the top. I think Bob Murray is a very close to the vest kind of guy. And that just trickles through everything else. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, just to, to be clear, I don't think I asked the second part of the question, but just so everyone out there listening knows, mm -hmm. uh, the second part was Eric Stevens noted today that the pub Samuel Eyes are publicly are real quiet publicly, and there's not a real line of communication between management and fans. So why all the secrets? So um, M. Young asks us, what is your guy's optimal lineup when Milano <laughs> and Jones are healthy? So assuming everyone's healthy, what is your optimal lineup? Oh boy, this is a fun question. So... Let me now because we we obviously put together yeah. our line our rosters or lineups before the season. Yeah, but we we did uh, numerous a, times, a bunch of times. But now that we have some games to go off of, I think it's a little bit more interesting. So yeah, well, um, so I, I I think the the question for me right now is what do you do with that Lundestrom Raquel, you know, Zegras trio there? Because I think with Lundestrom, I just I just don't really know if he really works there as kind of a, a minute eating significant minutes type of, of center. I think that he's, if he was your third line center. That, so I will say this, the line that I 100% keep together right now, I think that there are two of them. So Contois gets Lav Terry. I just think that they're working really well and it kind of makes sense. You know, gets is still, I think gets is having a very underrated season. Troy Terry is underrated and good. And Max Contois has some flaws in his game, but he is a good scorer. He's shown that. And uh, his weaknesses are uh, mitigated with Getzlaff and Terry. Now, I think that I really like the line of Jones, Henrique, and Silverberg, just because Max Jones has been so solid at five-on-five five this season. And Henrique and Silverberg are just 
kind of more of the same. Although Henrique hasn't been great defensively this year, but he does give you that scorer's touch down the middle. Now, I guess my big, my big kind of debate internally right now is just what do you do with Segris and Raquel and, and who do you put between them? Because I just, I just don't know if Lundestrom is the answer, but I also don't know if how well Zegris really looked next to how good he looked next to Henrik and Silverberg. I think that the way that those two play is a bit more North South, a bit more crash the net. And we've seen Zegris with the guy like Raquel. I think that those two guys complement each other a lot better because of that East West style. You want me to throw it out there? What yeah. I would do. I, so I, I do want to I, I know. <laughs> I agree with your top line. I, I think keeping Comtois, Getzloff, and Terry together, it's been. And by working. the way, there isn't a true top line in here. This is no. just a mashup of lines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's just the order that comes to your head. Yeah, I, would yeah. put, I would put Henrique between Zegris and Raquel. Okay. I, I would do that because. Don't know if I love that, but sure. I, I think Henrique gives you a different element. The guy that goes down low kind of tries to get the puck for those two. Maybe he can create a little bit of space. I, I don't love it, but I think it's a better option than Lundestrom. And, and I think he gives them a little bit more of a playmaking ability at well, various points in time in the center of the Henrique ice. Henrique is the anti Lundestrom because yep. the things he does well are the things that Lundestrom does not. And the things that he doesn't do that well are the things Lundestrom does well. So that is a little bit of the, the kind of give and take there, which is why if Jakob Silver could play center, <laughs> that would really solve this I thing mean, quickly. I mean, maybe it's a situation where we just end up saying, screw it, put Trevor Zegers at center and put Raquel and Silverberg on his wings. Well, so that is actually where I think that this should ultimately go because of the fact that the Ducks season is, look, I don't want to say, I mean, is it over? Like, is are the is the playoff dream over? I've said, I we talk so much now with all the very, whether it's a Patreon episode or watch along, <laughs> every, every, everything that we do now, I, I forget where I say things at this point in time. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I'm pretty close to saying it's over. Um, for, for the playoffs, I mean, the ducks currently are sitting at 400 points percentage. And so Mm -hmm. they have 20 points in 25 games. The Minnesota wild are currently the first team out or uh, the final team in at 27 points in 22 games. Mm -hmm. So not only are the ducks seven points back, but they're seven points back and the wild have three games in hand. So and let me just add this, the issue for the ducks. And I've said this a bunch. If you get behind this season, it's going to be really hard to make up ground mm-hmm. because if, if you're one team behind, let, let's say you're mm-hmm. in fifth place, you should have games left against uh, teams in the top four, specifically the team in fourth. So that gives you a direct opportunity to start jumping, jumping them. Cause you, you can pick up points. It's four point games. Mm-hmm. The issue for the ducks coming up though, is that every single game, I mean, they're, they're in last in the division in terms of points percentage. Mm-hmm. So every single game, the other teams play, someone is picking up points ahead of them whether it's the yeah. team directly ahead of the Ducks or the team in the playoff spot. Basically, every single game, someone's picking up points. So I have the answer to the riddle, by the way. Okay. And I agree with everything you're saying that the, the playoff chances are, are slipping away. Um, are you ready for the answer to the riddle? Sure. <laughs> uh, I think that it's one of Heinen or Jones on the left side. I actually am willing to take Jones off of Henrik Silverberg and put Zegers down the middle with Raquel on the right side. So let's just, for the sake of how we want to do this, I'm going to go Jones, Zegers, Raquel as a line. Okay. I think that Jones is establishing himself as a play-driving five-on-five winger, and that is precisely what I think uh, Zegers needs next to yeah. him. Uh, because, look, his defensive game is is not quite there yet. Um, 
And I think the way that Jones drives to the net, the way that he's constantly, uh, you know, diving into seams, that's going to work well next to a guy like Zegras. And then of course you've got Raquel who can kind of do a little bit of everything there. And then on the third line, Heinen Henrique Silverberg seems absolutely fine to me. Um, mm-hmm. And then huh, on the fourth line, let's just start here. No Grant and no Delorier. Just mm-hmm. right off the hop. Isaac Lindstrom, maybe you put him at center and you move Sam Steele to the wing. I, I don't think that that's such a bad thing. And then you have Sonny Milano. And, and Milano, Jones, Heinen, they're all kind of slightly interchangeable to me. I would actually be really curious. And of course, it's not possible right now because of IR and Milano being out. But I would be curious to see Milano next to Zegras because I think that he does have some of that that playmaking ability, that that hockey sense to keep up with a guy like Zegras. And he's got the legs, he's got the tenacity to to go and win those battles um, and, and let Zegras get free. So that would be my ideal version. This is mostly based on uh, you know analytics and also it's based off just what I've seen this season and what tends to work. I just think that the big the big drag on the Zegras line that we've seen is the fact that Lundestrom isn't really a play driver and, and he's been billed as such because he scored a hat trick, but he's not quite there yet. And I think if you have him on a fourth line with steel and Milano, they could actually do really well in that role because that's, that's kind of where they're at in their development. Like it's funny how uh, Dallas Aikens jostles guys around and it, it usually goes against where they're at in their development. So Zegris is getting taken out, getting benched, we all agree he should be playing more and then Lundestrom steel are getting elevated and elevated, but that's probably not where they're at, right? They're, they're actually struggling in, in those, uh, in those elevated minutes. So if you can just kind of flip all those things, move Zegris to center, because ultimately that is where you're going to get the most value from him, at least find out if he can be an NHL center, uh, then you're making the, you're making the fullest use of this season possible. And that's what this yep. should all be about right now. Yep, and I also would. Uh, I think the other option is instead of Steele, have David Backus there. Yeah, sure, but I, you know, I mean, as much as I like David Backus and I think he's a good player, I think right now I, it's probably better to have Steele on a fourth line wing spot just to see what he can do, let him develop. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, do, uh, do, do you want to talk about the blue line just yes. really quickly? <laughs> yes, because this will be much quicker. Give me, give me your your six uh, uh, six D men. Uh, well, so are we including Lindholm? Yes. Uh, The the question was very specific with everyone healthy. Okay. That's right. Sorry. Um, I would go with, uh, Fowler, Manson, Lindholm, Shattenkirk, and then Mahura with just get, just do it. Just do it. Just do it. Who who, who am I putting in? Oh, Jamie Drysdale. Yeah. Jamie Drysdale. There you go. Yes. There you go. I mean, at this point, what does it matter to have, like, why is it so necessary well, uh, to have, you know, a, a journeyman in Yanni Hockenpahen or <laughs> arguably also a journeyman in Ben Hutton and Jacob Larson, who at this point in time is not looking like an NHL defenseman well, at all. And, and I want to bring this up because this is what's constantly being parroted by management. And I think uh, somewhat by some of the writers around the Ducks, be just because that. I, I think there's a narrative around well, this is the defensemen. message that's being pushed by the, well, by the, it's, by the it's team. the message being pushed by the team. It's also the message I think that's out there from a lot of teams that they want to allow defensemen to develop that it, th- I mean, this is a legitimate narrative that it takes defense. And I think it's fair for certain, some of them, it takes defensemen longer to develop than forwards. And mm-hmm. so that's why a lot of people are more cautious with defensemen. 
And I think the Ducks specifically feel like they got burned a little bit on Cam Fowler by bringing yeah. him up too early and stunting his development. The issue is, is I watched Cam Fowler during his 18-year-old season. He was not as good in his 18-year-old season as Jamie Drysdale is. Well, well, that's the thing. There's an equivocation going on between the two, which just seems to be ignoring what Jamie Drysdale is actually doing right now. Like, Drysdale is putting up insane numbers in the AHL. He's playing great. And the weird thing right now is they have him on the taxi squad where he's not playing in <laughs> you're the just, AHL. You're just, you're just beating that drum. Because it makes it. it doesn't make sense, though. Like, like here's the thing. And granted, like, I don't expect him to fully put out anything. But if you're get, like, this is a high profile prospect. If you're going to have him on the taxi squad and it here's here's the best reasoning I can come up with. He came from the world juniors. He's uh, played in a bunch of hockey so far this year and a bunch of games in could be a rest succession. Thing. And it's a rest thing. But it's like you could easily just say that. Like people have asked about Jamie Drysdale. I, I believe Elliot Tiford even asked about it and was told they, he's not playing. And it's like, you could easily just put it out there saying, we want him to practice with the team. We're using this as an opportunity to get him on the ice, but th there's none of that. And instead he missed back-to-back -back games in the AHL as a potential uh, yeah. time for his development. And, and the weird thing also is that there's this idea that, well, the ducks are not in a big market. There's not a lot of scrutiny, so they can get away with this stuff. But if you look at, I mean, maybe this isn't a great metric, but when you look at their replies on Twitter or on Instagram, fans are asking these questions constantly. Like, why is this happening? What is going on? So even if maybe there's not as much scrutiny as in a, as in like a Toronto, people still want to know people are, there's still diehard fans of this team yep. that would just like some kind of even cursory explanation of what's going on. I mean, you and I have both watched the goals. Do you think Drysdale's ready for the NHL right now? Uh, I think he's earned a shot. Yeah. He, so, he's not, he, he, I, I doubt that he's worse than Larson or Hutton. That's almost impossible. Almost impossible. <laughs> <laughs> like it would be, uh, it would actually be more impressive if he was worse than them than if he was better than them because yeah. they have been awful. Yeah. Ben Hutton has turned out to shocker. Actually uh, a guy that was available at training camp that was signed to PTO has turned out to not be that great. Well, with him, it's so hard with the numbers we have right now in the sample because he has shown he's a lot better than this, but playing in this system and playing with Jacob Larson may just not be good for your numbers. Who knows? Who knows? Maybe Jacob Larson's not an NHL defenseman and someone who was saying that three years ago turned out to be right. I don't know yeah. who that was though, but um, moving on. Battlebow 93 said, do you think the lack of media scrutiny has allowed management to remain silent and not give the fan base a clear message on the direction of this team? Uh, well, Oh God. I mean, I think the lack of media scrutiny is by design. Like it's not because people aren't asking or wanting to ask questions. It's because the ducks have policies in who they let in and who they let ask questions. And let's just say it's a very selective process. And if you don't meet certain criteria, you just got to hang tight and look, whatever, like it's, it's their right, I suppose. But um, I think that the lack of scrutiny, it's not because it's not out there. It's just because they're very selective with who they let ask questions because Lord knows if either of us were in any of these zoom conferences, um, Mm -hmm. It wouldn't, it wouldn't just be about, oh, you know, how has, how has Isaac Lindstrom living with his girlfriend this year and being used to North America really, how, how has that helped elevate his game? Because that's kind of the stuff that gets asked and look, softball questions are okay, but there's gotta be some, 
some scrutiny, some pepper here and there, right? And I do think Eric Stevens does a great job of that. Um, I think he's on a bit of an island, uh, unfortunately. Yep, yep. Um, and Fire Carl all gives both of us uh, some credit for tweeting out as much info uh, for Ducks fans as uh, a lot well, of other people. I, so. I actually think that because we have been able to figure out ways to get information before beat writers, I think that we almost owe it to people who want to know this to put it out there because, um, you know, I know what it's like to be a fan of the team and I want to know stuff, right? Yeah. Like, I'm, like it's I mean, engaging in the product. There's a reason why I seek out the information and you and I have found ways to get the information because I'm a fan of the team and I find this stuff fascinating and these little yeah. the, the the little roster moves of the taxi squad that little minutia I find absolutely fascinating and yeah. and all the little quirks of it obviously with like Jamie Drysdale I find that absolutely fascinating and so I figure there are probably other people like me. I mean, it's the same exact reason why we started this podcast. There are people out there that probably don't want the the force-fed narrative uh, like the magic of Ricard Raquel and trying yeah, and, to look for something that's more substantive. And substantive. I guess I I guess I want to make clear that I'm not begrudging people for not asking these questions. I'm not begrudging, let's say, the team's commentators or radio commentators or beat writers to not be as critical because they don't have to be, you don't have to like, there's no set playbook for how to cover a team. Um, so they're not at fault for doing it this way. And, but that being said, I think it's more so on the team to maybe expand a little bit more who gets access. And I think over time, maybe, yeah, you will get some more unsavory articles or questions, but over time you get a better product. And it also allows the people who are more critical to have some kind of a relationship, some kind of a dynamic with the people within the team and maybe understand their side a little better. And maybe that the, the, the criticism and the commentaries will be more fair and well-rounded. Like this can work for everybody. This isn't mm -hmm. crazy. This actually happens in most teams in professional sports. Who would have thought? Yep. Yep. All right. So let's end with this question. And this is a uh, one definitely just for me. Lewis X 209 threw up a softball for me. Speaking of softball questions, he wanted to know what my thoughts were on the AEW pay-per-view, which happened tonight. I wasn't able to watch the final two matches. I still need to watch them. They were on actually on my screen during this. So I still need to, I'll go back once we're done and watch the street fight, which I heard good things about. And then the exploding barbed wire death match, which, uh, was good, I guess, but also had a very weird ending. Um, but, uh, the pay-per-view overall was really, really good. Um, if you enjoy wrestling at all, I highly suggest checking it out. Um, it was a really fun show. It's one that I highly suggest looking at. Uh, I believe it was Hey Yo D-Flow. Hadn't really watched wrestling in a long time, but decided to tune in because of us. Um, and tuned in and was chatting in our Discord chat about it. And uh, it was a lot of fun. So um, thank you for you guys out there. It was a great show. I enjoyed it. Sorry, I'm also trying to uh, get this message uh, modded as we are talking. Are you finished? I'm, I'm finished. <laughs> it, it was a good paper. It, it, sorry, I, I was I was trying to talk about it while also trying to uh, ban uh, spammer in our Twitch chat. So, uh, re really good pay per view, really fun show. Um, I'd say my favorite match was potentially the ladder match. Uh, really good. Felix is loving this right now. The, the ending to the Battle Royal was absolutely fantastic. Also, give me an hour of Jungle Boy versus Ray Phoenix, and I will be happy. You know, I'm just happy that you're happy. 
Thank that's you. All, you, you, you want a funny, fun little timestamp? So this was AEW Revolution. This is the exact show, but a year later that you and I sat down and watched together and did a podcast about. Oh boy. Well, there you go. Making me feel old again. <laughs> a year has passed since that. <laughs> a year has passed well, yeah. since that. I mean, since that was, then. That was um, right around the time the world turned. Yeah, real quick. Uh, M. Young said, why are we the only team that haven't worn a reverse retro jersey? I want to briefly mention this real quick, talking about the team. So they were supposed to actually wear them. I believe the original date was Feb 26th. They were supposed to wear them February 26th. And I think it was like April 6th or something along those lines. Let me see real quick. It was originally going to be Feb 26th and April 9th. Uh, both games at home. The issue is the February 26th ep- uh, game was de- uh, canceled or postponed. Sorry, not canceled um, because of Vegas or someone getting COVID and games having to get rescheduled. And so that game was actually scheduled um, to, I believe, April 16th. And so as a result, um, that became the new uh, game for that. So the decks were actually going to have two games in April. April 23rd uh, is where that game moved to. And the Ducks were going to have both of their games in April, April 9th and the 23rd. And unannounced by the team at all, I went and looked at the um, the promotional schedule the other day. They went ahead and they moved the game from March, the game, uh, the first game for the reverse retro from March 9th to March 16th. <laughs> and so instead of uh, no, no mention of no announcement, no anything. I like tried to trace back and I forget who it was, but there's, there's a follower who, who mentioned they were checking it every, like every couple weeks and noticed the change. Um, and so basically they switched it from being a home game on April 9th against the avalanche to now they are debuting the Jersey in Colorado. So the next time the ducks are in Colorado, they are wearing the reverse. So how many people would have known this if you had not said this? Well, (laughs) Not that many people, I guess, know when know the reverse retro schedule, seeing as the Ducks aren't making it that public to the point where Eric Stevens actually had an article today and he didn't really know when the games were at all. And I actually tweeted at him to let him know, oh, here's the promotional schedule. This is when the games are. He's like, oh, he's like, thank you for that. He's like, they did not make this easy to find. I was like, yeah, I know. So the, the Ducks beat writer could not get that information from the team when he asked, even though it's on their website. Believe me. We all, we all know, we all know what the deal here anyway. So, yes. So, (laughs) so there it is for everyone. Long winded way, uh, March 16th. And actually this is a fun way to get to our plugs. Uh, we actually are. So on our Patreon, we now have the watch along tier and feel like we get to the other tiers real quick, but we have added the watch along tier for $15 a month. And at that tier, you'll get in addition to all the stuff that Felix is going to go over, you will get two watch alongs a month. And we have slated them. For tomorrow's game, March eighth yeah. oh, against tomorrow. The, tomorrow again. again you're <laughs> welcome. <laughs> against the LA Kings, and then also we will be doing a watch along for the game that March sixteenth game. Well, look uh, at that. Where, it is where, it is tomorrow where the Ducks will be wearing their reverse retro jersey. So <laughs> this is actually excellent because Jake tracked down the actual new date unbeknownst to anyone else even eric stevens and plan for it on that night so that is that's what that i'm is, here for that is a job well done by you gotta say um but yeah tune in like these things have become a lot of fun uh we're kind of we're, we're getting our feet under us now a little bit more with these essentially it's an alternative broadcast I, you know a lot of people have gripes with the current broadcast team 
or just hockey broadcasting in general. And we're not here to bash on them in any way, but this is just an alternative. We give you stats. We give you matchups. We give you lineup decisions. We give you more nuanced technical breakdowns. And also we just give you us, right? You get to hear our take on it uh, as it's happening. And it's, if you value that at all, it's, it's something worth watching. It's basically a three hour podcast. It is extremely long. And we actually try to like not podcast while we're doing it. We try to talk about like we have to remind ourselves to talk about the game in front of us, <laughs> which is OK. Like that we podcast a bit. we got to fill airtime, but it's they're marathons. They are marathons, but they're a lot of fun. And if you're a diehard Ducks fan, I do think that this will uh, increase and enhance your experience. But the, the I mean, Jake, you brought it up. The other two tiers, uh, really straightforward, really simple. For a dollar a month, you get access to our patrons-only Discord chat. You get to join the movement that is sweeping the nation. Uh, you get to interact with other diehard fans. It's a very kosher environment, right? Everybody's there to just have a good time, talk about hockey. Um, you know, it gets a little crazy at times, especially when the Ducks are are blowing leads. There's some frustration in there, but it's all... It's all really well intended, and that's for $1 a month. Uh, if you're a hockey fan who maybe doesn't have too many other friends that are fans of the sport, or maybe um, you just want to join a new community, I think for $1 a month, you get that and you get to support our show. Well worth it. For $5 a month, though, you get access to the Discord chat, and you also get access to bonus episodes where we go into in-depth topics, whether it's about the Ducks, whether it's league-wide. We'll do league-wide rankings, pick our... NHL award winners will do, I mean, the last one we did, we did how we would rebuild the Ducks and we went really in depth on that, uh, more in depth than I thought we even would, to be honest. And so it's worth it there. Um, and that's twice a month. You also get a little bit more of the banter, uh, a little, a little more unfiltered on that show. So that's at patreon.com slash crash the pond. Now, a few other ways that you can support us. Jake talked about it earlier, but we are, uh, we are we are streaming these shows live at 8 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on Sunday nights. So make sure to check that out at twitch.tv slash crash the pond and subscribe there. If you like your podcast in video format, we are on YouTube, youtube.com slash crash the pond. Make sure to subscribe there and turn on your notifications. Love to read the YouTube comments. People get wild in there and I'm absolutely here for it. Um, if you've been enjoying the show and you don't want to drop any money, nothing like that, that's totally fine. Just search Crash the Pond on Apple Podcasts, leave a rating and a review. We will read the reviews on the show. Um, I don't think we don't have any new ones this week, but we will make sure to get to them live and on air if that is the case. Um, we are also on Spotify. So if you're not an Apple user, no problem. We are on Spotify. Now make sure to check out the website, crashthepond.com. We've got some merch, shirts, hoodies, different colors, orange, eggplant, and jam eggplant and jade that's at crash the pond.com slash shop at crash the pond on twitter crash the pond on facebook make sure to check out jake's article tomorrow five takeaways this is this is a big one jake went in this was a very jake article i'll just put it that way don't want to give any supposed to mean no it, it was good it means good it means good it was good in your way good in your way um and so He'll probably be tweeting that out from his account on Twitter at ReindeerGames91. I'm on Twitter at Felix underscore Sicard. And unless Jake has anything else, he's looking away right now. Oh, because his cat Salem just jumped in the I bed. Was, I was trying to get a, get a hold of her to, to give her uh, a little show to the camera, but she doesn't want anything. She's running. Right now. She's yeah. running from you. She wants, yeah. 
She wants to know part of your outdated but Ducks t-shirt with the 20th anniversary. It patch. is. Want to guess? Did you see who was on the back? Uh, is it Patrick Maroon? It is a Patrick Maroon. I actually just guessed. I had no clue. That. Yep. Yep. 100% correct, though. There, 62. There Very 13-14 Ducks. Uh -huh. Or is it 12-13? Uh -huh. Whatever. Uh -huh. um, but all right, folks. That's going to do it for us tonight. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks for continuing to chug along in this season. And we will talk to you at the next show. Have a great week. Bye.